Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. For the second time this transfer window, Manchester United have got their man. Rafael Varane will follow Jadon Sancho through the doors of Old Trafford ahead of the new season for a miserly £34 million. The Real Madrid defender can boast a World Cup and four Champions Leagues on his CV and is still only 28 years old. Just how big a boost will that be ahead of the new campaign and could it turn out to be a bargain? United may have got two of their main targets wrapped up early doors this transfer window, but across town at City, the blue half of Manchester are still slaving away to secure theirs. Clear interest from City in England pair Harry Kane and Jack Grealish, and it's the Aston Villa man who's edging ever closer to a switch to the Etihad, according to the latest reports. But can the two sides agree on a fee? Talking of duos, everyone else seems to be making additions to their squad, or as we here at Football Social Daily are severely depleted. But fear not, joining me today, the ever-reliable Ian Brannan. How are you doing, Ian? Yeah, no holidays here for me. Uh, (laughs) I didn't get in early enough to get the decent deal, you see, that's that's probably what it is. Likewise, everyone else at Sports Social seems to have jetted off or driven off to the countryside or flown somewhere or at weddings and all sorts and it's just me and you today what's that song just the two of us is it just the (laughs) two of us yeah absolutely but you know um uh, that that Sometimes the, the more intimate affairs are the, are the best. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Two is very much the running theme through today's podcast as well, because as I'm sure you've noticed, the Olympic Games in Tokyo is on right now with the women's football tournament capturing the imagination, a truckload of goals over there in Japan. And there were two goals in Team GB's latest outing against Canada. The game finished one apiece, which means Great Britain are through to the quarterfinals of the Olympic women's football tournament. They'll play Australia on Friday 
they were one down against Canada until very late on when Caroline Weir's shot was deflected in for an own goal. That secured the 1-1 draw and passage to the quarters. And we are going to hear from Caroline later on today on Football Social Daily. The Manchester City player spoke to our own Jim Salverson on the Football Stories podcast not long ago about her journey in the game. So we'll hear what she has to say shortly. You can, of course, find the full episode two on the Sports Social Podcast Network. But let's kick off today's show with the big transfer news from overnight, and that is Manchester United have agreed an initial fee with Real Madrid for the transfer of Rafael Varane, £34 million. We've spoken about it a couple of times on the show, Ian, over the last few weeks since that interest first came to light. But United now have, all going well with medicals and visas and quarantines and all the rest of it, got their man. How good a move could this be, considering Varane's experience at just 28 and coming from an elite club like Real Madrid too? It is a an, you know, pretty pretty good signing, I think you'd, you'd have to say. I know we, we were talking <laughs> about it last week um, and there was that rumour even in the papers because we, we hinted at it, I think, last week saying that um, Real Madrid have done this before, Real Madrid players have done this before, you know, offer themselves up to places like Man United and it's actually just a ruse to to feather their own nest at their current mm. club, you know, contract negotiations and all that. Um, seems not to be the case this time. Uh, looks like he's uh, he's on his way over. He's got to go through quarantine and stuff yet, so he's not going to be able to undergo his medical. So <laughs> stay tuned, folks, because there could be a twist in the tail yet. Um, but let's assume it all does go through. £34 million for... Um, uh, Real Madrid's one of you know one of their main centre backs, as you say, he's been with Real Madrid for I think ten or eleven years now. Um, been part of that um, back four with uh, well back two really with with Sergio Ramos right in the centre of, of defence and uh, so much experience. I mean, there's not a lot he hasn't won. He's won a World Cup. He's won Champions Leagues. He's won La Liga. Um, so uh, he's 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 done it all. Um, can't ask for any more. Um, Gary Lineker summed it up saying it's a damn good signing and I think that's uh, that that assuming it all goes to plan is is brilliant I mean especially for the money as well when you say about I know we're going to mention about Harry Maguire being um, much more expensive than that um, that price tag is is um, quite something but I suppose it's it's a reflection of where he is in his contract cycle at, at Real Madrid you can't go bricking people for hundreds of millions if they haven't got a lot left on their contract so Good on Man United, good spot, good signing. Works for everybody, I think. I think especially with how well Harry Maguire played during the Euros, to have someone of Varane's quality to come in, that's like a mouthwatering defensive partnership for the for the purists, I suppose you could say, because everyone knows that the reason people love football is for the goals, the entertainment, but the defence is such an important, crucial component in the Premier League because there is such an abundance of attacking quality. So to have two quality centre-halves like Maguire and now Varane, and for that price tag, like you say, Maguire costing £80 million, coming from Leicester, having not won a jot, and then you get Raphael Varane, who's the right side of 30s, won a World Cup, multiple Champions Leagues, over 300 games for Real Madrid, and they've got him for £34 million, and the most they'll pay for him is 42 with all of the add-ons and all the extras that come with it, depending on what happens during his time at Old Trafford. It does look like very good business, and almost as if United can't go wrong, even if he's a flop, £34 million in today's market doesn't seem like very much at all. Yeah, I mean, it seemed a ridiculous amount um, 15, 20 years ago, didn't it? But now we're sat here talking 34, even 42 million would would be um, a bargain if, if you know if that was the if that was the price. Um, 
they've, they've done pretty well there. I mean, it kind of reminds me, Ian, and you'll know this as a Leeds fan. Remember when Manchester United bought Rio Ferdinand off of yeah. Leeds? And at the time, that was like an eye-watering amount of money um, to, to, to take someone like Ferdinand, who was, albeit, a very, very good player. And, you know, I suppose you could even translate that from back then to recent times where people are saying £80 million for Harry Maguire. But actually, United paid a similar fee, if you're looking at, if you're looking at it relatively, for Rio Ferdinand from Leeds. And mm. look how effective that signing was for them. Ferdinand became their sort of main centre-back for years and years. Yeah, and, and Leeds paid a fortune for Rio Ferdinand in the first place. And that was the thing. <laughs> Leeds smashed the transfer record at the time. Uh, Leeds paid 18 million quid, I think it was, for, for Rio Ferdinand. And it was like, mm. what? I mean, that was the start of Leeds' downfall, let's be honest, you know, spending all this money that they'd earmarked for a stadium and spent it on Rio Ferdinand instead. But they did get a return on, on that one. Not so much on uh, on Seth Johnson. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's uh, that's all in the David O'Leary's book, I guess. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it, it is a staggering amount of money, but it's all, it is all relative to where the game is. You know, it's not like, well, you know, they should have shopped around a bit more and, 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 and got the fee, fee down. That's how much money is in the game at the moment. That's how much these players are worth to those clubs. Um, mm. The money is just insane now. It's it's not just all on gate receipts, as we know. The TV money is phenomenal, and it's not just TV money from this country. You've got separate TV deals around the world. You know, there's one for the for the UAE, for example, who are paying loads. China have got a separate DVD, TV deal pumping money in. So it's mm. not just all on Sky or whatever. So this money is kicking around. Um, you, it's market forces. That's what he's worth. Um, to, mm. to those clubs and you know the price is the price we can't control that <laughs> exactly um, I'm sure we'll come on to that when we talk about Grealish in a little bit as well yeah uh, it, it, it is crackers and it's going to be interesting to see how it goes for, for Man United this year because um, they've, they've, there's been accusations in the past probably at this, this sort of time of year where um, fans are, are probably saying we haven't signed anybody look at all these other teams I remember last year of course it was a slightly different year the, the summer was much shorter and you know saying we haven't actually signed any decent players blah 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 of course the mm. um, Sancho thing was rumbling on this time last year didn't happen and now this time they've got Sancho they've got Varane and that's in addition to the players they've already got and players as you mentioned like Harry Maguire you'd argue his value will have increased um, considering the sort of um, tournament he's had uh, in the Euros, so you know they, they they've got a they have got a much stronger team this year, and I think Man United fans should be fairly pleased. I was listening to the podcast last week, um, the the one that I listened back to myself, and I was thinking I'm, I sound a little too glowing about Man United, so I'm going to have to keep an eye on that. <laughs> but, but they they have had a good summer, I think. Yeah, I mean, we like to say this on Football Social Daily. We've been doing this podcast a few seasons now. And me and Jim and Marley, we kind of have this running joke about who's won the transfer window. And it always seems to be Everton and then their players flop completely. Uh, mm. I don't think it's going to be Everton this year. But in terms of a side so far, and as we've already mentioned, we are pretty pretty early in the transfer window still. There's over a month to go until the window does shut. How are United doing in comparison to the rest of the Premier League? Obviously, we'll come on to City and their pursuit of Grealish and Kane shortly, which could completely change the landscape of transfers in the top flight. But as it stands right now, with Sancho and Varane, do you think United are winning the transfer window? Yeah, because they've they've got these deals done, you know. And I think the other yeah. teams, it's very much rumour 
uh, and talk. And there was you know, a piece with um, uh, Erling Haaland um, last night I saw on, on the on the news and, and he was talking about, there's rumours about him and Chelsea and he's been spotted having meetings and all this kind of stuff. And he's just poo-pooed it saying, well, they're just, they're just rumours. And that's where we're at with the other transfers at the moment. It might happen. There might be stuff going on. There is a lot of stuff going on because players are coming back from holiday. Things are starting to happen seriously. We we know it it gets left late in the the summer transfer window. Gets left late to us sitting on the outside. I don't think it gets left late for the clubs. I think the players fully know exactly what's what's going on. And these things don't happen overnight. It's not like well, sometimes they do, but more often than not, you know, there's a there's you know what it's like when you're signing a contract for anything, you know, like buying a car, getting a new job. You know, it rumbles on for a couple of weeks before you you know, fully in a position to be sitting behind the desk or in the car or whatever it is. So it's the same with a footballer. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be sorted out, more than you realise. I think the paperwork, the agents, the insurance, the fitness tests. And as we've seen with Varane, you know, he's got to sit out quarantine first before he's even allowed to do his medical. So yeah. there's there's a lot of hoops to jump through, more than I think You know, people get used to playing FIFA and putting a bid in and waiting to pressing the button a couple of times and then whoop, there's the answer. You know, that's that, but that's not how it works at all. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Man City do. Of course, they've got big rumours about you know Harry Kane and so on. I think I think as it stands, I'm with you. United are winning the transfer window right now, but it's so early, isn't it? Like you say, and in terms of getting their business done early, which is not a usual thing for Manchester United in recent seasons. You say about Sancho taking about a year. Bruno Fernandez took a similar amount of time, but look at the impact Bruno Fernandez has had. And if Sancho and Varane can have a similar impact to what Bruno has, I think that shows good signs for Manchester United. They've handed Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a new deal over the weekend as well. I mean, it seems significant that there is now support and backing being thrown behind Manchester United from above, which is something that was being questioned by fans and commentators and pundits alike throughout the course of last season because there's always that question about Manchester United's ownership. Do you think we've seen a a clear shift now in them supporting the manager and the playing squad and taking on board the concerns of the fans, which obviously boiled over last season with that game against Liverpool that got postponed when the fans broke into Old Trafford? Yeah, I I think there has been a big shift um, in the attitude at Man United in the upper echelons. Um, I saw that um, the Glazers have, have offered to meet the fans once a year at uh, one of the fans' forums or something like that, uh, which, is an, which is a step forward, isn't it? Because the, the Glazers have been so um, mysterious in many, in many respects. You know, fans haven't had the chance to, to, to address them directly about the club. Uh, they've offered to meet them once every 12 months, which I think, you know, fair enough. Okay, well, that's that's progress at least. Um, and because they're going to be meeting with the fans, I suppose it's made them think about where they are. And maybe I don't know. We'll we'll find out in good time. But maybe this whole Super League thing um, has had a, a good um, impact in actually giving owners a kick up the backside and and making them realise actually what it is that they're owning and that it is not a normal business. It is something that means more than that to many of the of the fans of the club, particularly those that have been sponsored. You know, that, that are fans. You know, not like your glory fans who follow them just because they're winning. You know, there are a lot of Man United fans around the world that Man United is extremely special to them, and in the same way that any club is is special to any football fan, whoever that might be. And um, 
maybe they undervalued that um and so it's it's made them think they do seem to be a lot more approachable they do seem to be thinking right okay we we get it you know you want a team that's going to win all right let's have a team that's going to win then whereas before they were looking for a team that was maybe going to win at the bank you know bringing in a lot of money a lot of revenue all that kind of stuff they've got they've got many ways to make more cash of uh, of the glazers and you know it's all part of a business empire for them um Maybe, 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 maybe they get in the point because there just seem to be a shift in certainly bringing in some some big signings and um, and being more approachable, perhaps. And as we say, a new deal for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer over the weekend as well. So I think that just goes to show the support that they are throwing behind the manager who did get them to a cup final last season. Of course, they lost on penalties to Villarreal and then, of course, finished second in the Premier League. They want to get closer to Manchester City and we'll be talking about their crosstown rivals next in the Transfer Rumour Wrap here on Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. If you're new around here, why not hit subscribe? That way you won't miss an episode again. We're currently three podcasts a week until the start of the new Premier League season. And when the season does kick off on the 13th of August, we'll be back to daily podcasts for you. And when we say daily, we really mean it. Seven days a week with match previews, match reports. You can find all the information on our website, sport-social.co.uk as well. We are the only podcast that will do that for you cover the Premier League seven days a week in podcast forms. As I say, if you like what you hear, why not hit subscribe and that way you won't miss an episode again. But for now, it is pre-season and that means the transfer window is open and we're going to take a look at some of the biggest rumours doing the rounds over the last couple of days in the English top flight. And Jack Grealish is on the agenda again. Yes, we're talking about the Aston Villa man once more. This comes from the Daily Mail who say City are preparing a £75 million offer to sign Jack Grealish Aston Villa, meanwhile, allegedly want £100 million. Sam Lee from The Athletic and a regular Football Social Daily pundit says things are at an advanced stage. Jack Gorn of The Daily Mail, who is another pundit on the show and a good friend of the podcast, he suggested that City are confident that this Jack Grealish deal is close to being completed. This is an interesting one for me, Ian, because like what you mentioned earlier on in the show, it feels like this is a case of he's worth more to Villa than a price tag could ever justify. But on the whole, from the outside looking in, you'll get a chunk of supporters of City and other clubs that say, well, Villa are deluded if they want 200 million for Grealish. But I suppose it isn't those fans and other clubs that set the value. It's Aston Villa that set the value and of how valuable they feel he is to their club. Yeah, I mean, he's Aston Villa's player. Um, And and I think sometimes you get these... um, clubs bigger clubs or certainly fans of bigger clubs whoever they are the ones with the you know with the with the big pockets and that um <laughs> who think well there's a player there that we quite like um you know we he will come to us because we've got the cash sometimes there's more to it than that sometimes there's more to it than that um mm. you know does does jack grealish want to move number one does he want to move not just to a football club does he want to move house you know, does he want to move his life? There's other considerations sometimes. And I think you get to the point where you've got so much money that Jack Grealish is a multimillionaire already that, you know, there's only so much money you can spend. And I think money to um, the public sometimes it means more than it does to footballers because I think there's more to it than that. There's the chances he's going to get to play. You know, if you're going to be in an all-star lineup, you know, you get that 
that sort of Real Madrid situation almost, where you've got too many good players in a team. Is he going to be mm. playing every week? You know, what's what's the guarantee on that? Um, and you know, Aston Villa, like it or not, are wanting to build themselves up the table, and this yeah. is the un- unfortunate truth. Uh, for many of these teams is that there are clubs around, as we've seen, Leicester have already done it um, in having success and what are Leicester? They're a well-run club, there's a family Mm. atmosphere, they look after their players Um, everybody loves playing for them same for Aston Villa, you know, they're building something there, the people enjoy working there, playing there uh, being part of it and, uh, you know, do they want to reward that that love that's been shown to them so far by saying up yours and I'm going to go play for Man City mm. no because uh, they know and, that Villa, and Grealish you know, is a Villa fan isn't he through yeah and through. exactly and that's the thing and it's the same and, and same for Leeds you know loads of rumours about Calvin Phillips Calvin Phillips is going here Calvin Phillips is going there Calvin Phillips ain't going anywhere well Calvin Phillips was subject to a I think a 20 odd million pound bid when Leeds were in the championship and he said no to stay with Leeds yeah to go to Villa yeah. I think it was double his wages, a significant yeah. price tag. And he said, no, I'm all right, thanks. I'm good at Leeds. So you do get a bit of loyalty in football. There is a saying, that not there, that there's no loyalty in football. But there are, we are starting to see more evidence of that now, aren't we? Yeah, as I say, because once you've got so much money in the bank, right, you, you don't need, <laughs> there's only so much you can spend. So all of those things about money and blah, blah, blah and, and all that. It, but if you, if you ha- are, are at a club that is decent, and looks after you and it's a nice place to be you're in a nice squad you've got all your mates there your family's there why would you want to be anywhere else and that's that's certainly the the thinking at Leeds is that you know why why do you want to go over there why do you want to go over to dark side right <laughs> other side of ill um to, to to achieve that if we're building something here that you could achieve here like it or mm. not Right, because it's not about how much money you've got; it's about how many games you win. And we've seen that mm. having a, a, an expensive squad or having a player that costs eighty or ninety million pounds doesn't mean that you're going to win matches, because there's more to it than that. It's it's about it's about a team, you know, and that that team togetherness and that will to win and having a good leader. That is what is important as much as the money and how much you spend on players. And I want to go back to what you said just a few minutes ago about the game time for Jack Grealish. Now, I think Jack Grealish is a starter for Manchester City if he goes there. But do you think there could be an element of what we've seen at Chelsea kind of under the radar with the fact that they spent significant money on Timo Werner, they spent significant money on Kai Havertz, and it almost feels like they're obliged to play those players because of the price tag they paid for them. I don't think Pep Guardiola quite has that mindset when it comes to his players, regardless of what they cost. I think he'll be playing them if he thinks they're right. However, when you spend a significant amount of money, and if they do end up paying 100 million for Grealish and the same amount for Kane, that's a lot of money, the most that City have ever spent on players. So you feel like you're going to get flack if you don't play them. Does that make sense? Yeah, you get you get flack probably from shareholders, depending on the club. Uh, you probably get flack from fans saying we've, we've spent all this money on a player. Um, and if that player isn't playing well, um, then really it should be the, the coach, whoever that is, or the manager, what you want to call them, should be their decision as to who plays and how long they play for. And as we saw in, in the Euros, Jack Grealish, brilliant player, but... You know, he, he was used sparingly, wasn't he? Um, and is he the all-round player? He's, he's a very creative player. 
and um, he's going to get bums off on seats and bums off seats, I suppose, as well. It's, it's, but, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? That, that there's, there's certain types of game that you don't want Jack Grealish necessarily involved in. Um, as it was we saw with England, you know, he, where he came on for 20 minutes and got taken off again, where, because there's clearly defensive doubts about him. Um, so, it, I don't know. It's it's a tricky one. It is a tricky one. And I think when you're in a team with with a lot of other talent, I don't know. Is he is is his um, is his star going to tr- struggle to shine quite as brightly as it does amongst Aston Villa? And I think he's had a great tournament at the Euros, by the way. I mean, uh, just anecdotally um, on the Riviera that is the beach at Sunderland. Um, the, the you know I've seen a few Grealish England shirts which I've never yeah. seen before. There was even Brilliant. a kid walk past my house. A kid must have been about seven or eight with an Alice band in his hair. So you know the Grealish effect is there definitely. And I also think that he's such a laid back character, Jack Grealish. I genuinely think he's one of these people that doesn't listen to the outside noise, doesn't get affected by the pressure. You know when players say I'm just enjoying my football, I genuinely believe that when Jack Grealish says it because it, he certainly plays with that demeanour and that style so according to reports City are confident that this one is getting closer and closer it's gone a little bit quiet on the Harry Kane front but certainly City's two key targets Grealish and Kane and they haven't got either of them just yet over a month to go of the transfer window talking of Manchester City their opponents in the 2019 Champions League were Tottenham Hotspur and a key component to that Tottenham side that reached the final in defeating Manchester City on their way there was Toby Alderfireld, who's now left Spurs after six years. 32 years old, he's made a move to go and play in Qatar, Ian. How crucial has he been for Tottenham over the years and how big a blow is it? Yeah, I mean, he has been a key part. I mean, he's he's certainly been a, a key squad player, hasn't he? And he's, he's you know been involved in everything that Tottenham have been involved in over that time. And uh, I, I don't know if he leaves as a, as a Tottenham legend as such, would you say, but... He's he's certainly been there for for quite a while, as you say, six years, um, and he has played some some key um, you know some key moments. I, I to be honest, I can't. I'm not the closest watcher of Tottenham, so I can't lift off these his three greatest moments in a Tottenham shirt off the top of my head. But I know that he was well loved by uh, by the Tottenham um, you know the Tottenham faithful, um, and and they've they've done some big stuff in that time, haven't they? You know, Champions League and all that kind of stuff. You know, exactly that. In terms of his importance to the team, you have to say that a couple of years ago, when Tottenham were genuinely in contention at a period for the Premier League, and they reached the Champions League final, Toby Alderweireld was a key component to that, and he was linked with moves away right throughout his tenure at Tottenham because he's putting consistent performances over six years. I can barely remember a time where he was in bad form. And I think that's reflected in the national team as well. Belgium, number one team ranked by FIFA, obviously had a disappointing Euros. They would have hoped to go all the way. But certainly in terms of how he's performed in the time that he's had at Tottenham, those six years, consistent with Tottenham Hotspur, linked with moves to clubs like Manchester United on multiple occasions, you have to suggest that he's done a, a pretty good job there. I'm quite surprised that he's moved to Qatar at just 32 and hasn't fancied carrying on in Europe. But obviously we know that there's plenty of money out there in the Middle East. They've paid just £13 million for him from Tottenham. And actually for a 32-year-old and what they paid for him, I think for the value that they've got out of him, that's not the worst deal in the world for Tottenham Hotspur. But what does it mean now? Because 
the core of Spurs that I mentioned over the last few years, that Champions League team, the one that was making a tilt for the Premier League at times, has now seen Alderfireld leave. Danny Rose is gone. Eric Lamella's left this summer. Uh, Christian Eriksen went last season or a couple of seasons ago. And possibly Harry Kane could even go in the next month or so. Hyungmin Son signed a new deal, which is positive. But in terms of facing a possible rebuild, does Nuno Espirito Santo, as the new manager, face one already on his hands, do you think? Yeah, and another one who's gone, uh, Jan Vertonghen, who was um, the you know defensive partnership yep. with... Alderweireld, yeah. uh, you know, and, and I'm just looking back at you know the, his at his uh, best moments, and and yeah, the Champions League final, getting to the Champions League final, grounding out the the results to make it there alongside Jan Vertonghen. That that was probably his you know his best season there in um, in 2019, um, and so yeah, they've 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 changed really the the entire spine of their team, especially if um, you know if if Kane goes as well, um, it is all change, isn't it? Um, they're, they are going to have to get people in for sure because as you, you know you listed off the players there that that, are, that have left and uh, it is all changed but they've not had much stability either have they Tottenham with in case of the manager you know you had the Mourinho era and then now we're in this um, Espirito Santo era and we know that he's a good manager but you're not going to solve all the problems overnight um, Christian Romero is uh, rumored to be coming in to replace Alderweireld. And um, they're negotiating about that now. Uh, Atalanta is where he's at at the moment in in Italy. So um, they've got a few names on the table. But again, we're in that situation where it's all rumour at the minute. And that's not very good for, you know, your your pre-season and all that, is it? It's it's kind of like um, you can't really fully prepare for what's coming up. We're only, what, three, four weeks away from the start of the season. And they've they've got probably four or five players still to come in who, who don't know um how they're expected to play for for Tottenham um yet yeah. and so it surely makes it difficult for the rest of the squad and that's where you end up with these wobbles at the start of the season isn't it which which can mm. be costly come the reckoning at the end it feels a little bit piecemeal at times from Tottenham Hotspur i don't know whether that's a bit of an overreaction from me but in terms of the way they're restructuring things it does feel like you know getting rid of the core of that team that did so well that there's almost a regeneration on the cards. And they tried to do that with Jose Mourinho and it didn't work, although they did get to a cup final last season. They were soundly beaten in the end by Manchester City. It just feels like a real difficult time for Tottenham Hotspur. And I just wonder what the fans' expectations are for next season. Is it optimism under Nuno Espirito Santo? They should be aiming for the top four with how they've performed in recent seasons, but they were some way off it last season. It just makes me wonder what the actual blueprint is and what the plan is for next season. The plan for Spurs every season should be to win a trophy because that monkey will always be on their back until they do win one. But it just makes me wonder what would be considered a good finish in the Premier League next season, particularly with the way the squad is shaping up now. How important is it that they replace not just out of out well, but those other players that have gone, replace them well? Because they have brought in signings, but we haven't seen the best of them. I mean, Son now for me is is head and shoulders Tottenham's best player and they've hung their hat on him. He signed a new long-term deal. He's going to be there into his 30s. Um, and, and for me, I think that's a good bit of business by Tottenham tying Son Jung-min down to a new contract. But in terms of replacing out of Fireald and if Kane leaves, etc., etc., 
you know, I mean, I, I forgot Kane was even at the club then when I was talking about Son. Obviously, Kane's their best player and then it's Son. But I mean, I'm of the opinion that Kane's leaving this summer. So in terms of the replacements they make, it's crucial that they get them right because they could end up in a similar situation to their North London rivals, Arsenal, who have just not got it right over the last however many years. And they found themselves eighth or ninth last season. Yeah, it's but this is this is what it comes down to, like what we were saying before about there's more to it than than just throwing money at players. Um, there has to be something to do with what's going on in the background at Tottenham because they've had great players. They've had Champions League winning managers um, and yet they always seem to fall short. And and why is that? What is going wrong in the background at Tottenham, I would say? There must be something somewhere. There must be something. I think it's in the culture. Um, There's pressure on them from somewhere. I don't know. Can't put my finger on it. But it does seem that there is something in the water uh, that's 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 affecting the the success because they've got everything else haven't they they've got an amazing stadium they've got they've had the squad they've had players that have left tottenham and gone on to win champions leagues with real madrid and and things like that so it's not for the lack of talent but what there is some that, that x factor that thing that binds it all together is missing and maybe that is the culture within the club maybe it, it is not they're not all together for some reason when that comes down down from the board or what I don't know, but it's just that that missing magic isn't isn't there for them and and this sale of of Alderweireld, by the way is as um, I'm just looking on you know some of the Tottenham supporters boards they're not happy they are not happy this has not done much to uh, to sort of build relations between the board and the uh, and the supporters is a billion pound stadium the best stadium in the world and living in London is that enough of an attraction now? to bring people to Tottenham. To play in the Premier League, obviously, is a great attraction. Tottenham are one of the biggest clubs in the country. No denying that. But they don't have a manager in Jose Mourinho like they did before, where they could possibly attract players. Much like Everton did with Ancelotti, where they had a top-quality manager who is almost a pull-in himself. But the fact that now players are leaving and Tottenham aren't at the same level as they were even just a couple of years ago, do you think that is enough to start attracting players? I think London... Is is an attraction because everybody knows where London is, and 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 you know the things that there are in London. I mean, London's bloody expensive. You need to be a footballer to be able to afford to live there in the first place. Mm. Um, Tottenham, though, are not. I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm just surmising my own thought process. If you were going to move to London, would Tottenham be the first football club you think of when you think of London? And for me, when I think of London, I think Arsenal, I think Chelsea. Yeah. I don't think Tottenham straight away. Uh, <laughs> You're going to get pelters on well, social look, media now. No, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, I know of Tottenham, but if I if I was somebody in Madrid, or and this, this guy that, you know, Romero... Do you think that's because Arsenal and Chelsea have been successful and Tottenham yes, haven't? Do you think yes. it boils down to as simple as that? Yes, because when you're, when you're on the TV more, uh, winning mm. stuff, that's what makes you famous. And having a nice stadium, you see it at the start of the match and you see it during the match, um, but you you don't, you know, you having a nice stadium is not going to look great on your um, mantelpiece afterwards. And, you know, when it's uh, dusty dusty medals and stuff like that that, that that they want. 
I've told you the story of of, um, of the time I went to Steve McLaren. I'm not house. sure, but I want to hear it again, even if you I haven't, have. <laughs> even if you already have. Sorry, just just what happens to to winners' medals, right? So, um, just a quick aside, I um, I was doing some work for um, for a major national uh, BBC um, broadcaster with a Digit Five involved, and um, and I, my job was to go to Steve McLaren's house to basically mic him up for a, for a show. So I'm, I'm in Steve McLaren's house. <laughs> and he goes off he says do you want a glass of water so he goes off to get a glass of water for us and it was it was, it was an outstanding glass of water i've got to say it had ice in it and everything and uh then while i'm sat there i'm looking at this this mantelpiece slightly dusty mantelpiece and there's some like medals on there the, the sort of medals that you might win at a you know like a, a school sports day or something like that <laughs> so i'm looking and it's like premier league winner's medal era divisia league winners medal all these winning you know uh, fa cup winners medal and all this kind of stuff it's like just blimey. in dusty on his mantle just just tossed on the side like <laughs> like you would have like you'd ram in an old drawer uh, <laughs> so that's what happens to these winners medals but it shows that you know they, they are they are the thing they're the mem- mementos of of uh, of your time Anyway, that's that's completely unrelated because uh, no, no Spurs player is going to have to worry about yeah, that. Yeah, I think Tottenham players would love a dusty medal. Doesn't matter how old it is, I think they'd enjoy it. To be fair, as you say, Spurs want Christian Romero, the Argentina centre half, currently playing for Atalanta. So we'll keep a close eye on that one. I do think Nuno Spirito Santo has got plenty of work to do. That's it for the transfer rumours for today's Football Social Daily. We're going to take a short break and then we're going to be talking to Team GB and Manchester City player Caroline Weir, who scored a really important goal earlier this week for Team GB in the Olympic Games in Tokyo. Great Britain in the women's soccer will take on Australia on Friday. We'll hear from Caroline Weir, who's been speaking to Jim next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast from Sports Social. As we've already mentioned, just three shows a week for the time being, but not long now until we're back to a full schedule of seven days a week. So hit subscribe and that way when the season does restart again in just a couple of weeks from now, you'll be bang up to date with all the latest goings on in the English Premier League. There's a new episode of the podcast every single day of the top flight season. So looking forward to that restarting again. In the meantime, whilst everyone's taking in pre-season friendlies and looking at transfers, there is some football going on over in Japan at the Olympic Games. Team GB are involved in the women's soccer tournament and Manchester City player Caroline Weir is part of that squad that's made the trip over to Tokyo. Team GB are in the quarterfinals of the competition. They play Australia on Friday and it was Caroline Weir's late deflected strike which earned a draw against Canada which was enough for GB to secure passage through to the quarterfinals they'll be hoping to get a medal but before Caroline Weir did jet out to Japan she spoke to our very own Jim Salverson in the latest series of our football stories podcast on the sports social podcast network there's two series available so go and check it out on the network all you need to do is head over to the website sport-social.co.uk and hit the podcast tab loads of great shows over there or just find it wherever you get your podcasts some really interesting chats with former youth team players that were released at an early age from a Premier League club insights into mental health coaches referees some of the lesser told stories let's just say in the world of football go and check that out but not before we listen to Caroline Weir who's chatted with Jim. I want to take you back, if it's okay, to the very beginning of your footballing career. And I'm interested to know what it's like 
growing up as a girl who wants to play football at a high level was it easy to find clubs was it easy to find people to play against was it easy to find those opportunities no not really for me um growing up in a small town town in scotland i've I love football since I was about three or four. I was playing it in the back garden with my siblings and I joined the boys team when I was five because there was no other girls teams around. Mm. The, the opportunity for girls to play football was so limited. It's changed now, but you know, t- 20 years ago, it wasn't like that. So I, yeah, straight into the boys team. I played in the school team full of boys, only girl in all of these teams. But I was quite lucky when I was 10. I moved to Hibs in Scotland, which had a really... At the time, it was the best kind of youth girls set up. They had an under-13s, 15s, 17s team. So yeah, I went there at 10. Obviously, I was pretty young and made my way through the Hibs kind of academy. It wasn't really an an academy at that point, but there was a a pathway there for girls that, that wanted to kind of keep playing football. But yeah, it it was tricky. There was I was lucky because Hibs was great, and I was there until I was eighteen. But in terms of role models, female role models, I didn't have any. I would mm. like to say I did, but I, I was obsessed with football. I watched so much football on TV, men's obviously all men's football, and I'm not quite sure where it came from that I decided that I was going to be a professional footballer because you know I didn't see women doing it. I just probably thought I was going to play men's football or you know whatever that that looked like. I didn't really know so. I was fortunate because when I turned 18, I went down south to Arsenal and that was when the game kind of begun to turn professional. So, yeah, that was kind of my upbringing and there was definitely a lack of role models and lack of opportunities for girls football. But I was fortunate in that I could go to Hibs. We're talking about maybe a, a decade passing now since those kind of early days at Hibs and Arsenal. Do you think much changed in the sport in that respect in terms of access to the game and being able to have those role models for young players to look up to yeah I think we've seen a massive shift in momentum in in women's football over there I'd say the the last decade even five years I think it's come such a long way you know I never thought I'd be sat at City in the environment that I'm in doing what I love every single day being pushed to reach my potential and I think that that's come from all sorts of things you know more media attention being more visible, women's games being on, on TV, the, the national teams doing well, obviously in this country, England doing well at World Cups and Olympics and uh, Euros, uh, all that kind of thing. So I just think that really helps because it encourages more girls to play and, and shows us there are opportunities out there. But it's it's a continuous cycle. It needs to keep going. And, and, and things like the BBC and the Sky TV deal this season for the WSL is huge because it, it brings a whole new level to, of coverage that we've never seen before. And hopefully, again, we'll kind of elevate the game to a new level. Obviously, it's not just an access and awareness issue that faces women's football at the moment. There's also, at times, maybe a bit of a lack of respect, certainly from the men's side of the game or fans of the men's side of the game. We've seen recently Alex Scott's appointment as a female pundit on Football Focus being labelled as box ticking. We've seen Karen Carney as a pundit getting abuse for daring to have an opinion that probably a male pundit would get away with. Does it feel like there's a real uphill struggle to be had in terms of that side of the game in terms of being able to kind of change opinions from a certain portion of the footballing fan base or is that just is that something that just feels unachievable and it's just a case of like not bothering with that side of things I think there's obviously there's a small minority that you're never going to change the minds of that you know it's it's a male space and and women aren't welcome which is fine we're not going to change that but I think on the whole that there's uh, many people's perceptions we can change about women's football. I think as well, what gets forgotten is women's football was banned, you know, for 50 years, not so long ago. So we are playing catch up on and off the pitch. So I think for women coming into Alex Scott, who's 
leading the way and doing such a good job on the the punditry side and paving the way as is Karen Carney and people like that and mm. um, it takes time to to for people to get used to seeing women talk about football have opinions about football and know what what they're actually talking about and as well you know women weren't playing football for as long so the the, the game itself has come a long way on the pitch physically technically because we've become professional but like I say we've been playing catch up and it does take time so I think it's on a good path but it's going to take a little bit longer for it to be normalized and for for it to be accepted by everyone or most people anyway but I think I think it's doable I, I do just think it's going to take quite a bit of time. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where both sides of the game are seen on an equal footing in the ways they are I mean you look at clubs like Lose FC on the south coast who have equal pay for the men's and women's teams there's a few international teams like England or Brazil that have adopted that as well as something going forward do you think we'll ever see that in the Premier League? I think it's an interesting argument I think like I said the women's game has a long way to go I think the men's game is like no other not even you know in the world of sport it just moves at such a fast pace in terms of financially Mm. so I think when we start comparing the men's and women's game it's not a great argument I think for now they've got to stand separately just because of the fact that women haven't been playing football for so long and it's yeah it's it's a different game and I think the women's game instead of being compared to the men's game should just be celebrated for what's you know unique about that and what it can bring to the world of sport to society and and things like that so yeah I I, I'm not sure we're going to see the same levels financially as the Premier League probably not my career hopefully my lifetime at some point but like I say the Premier League men's football is is kind of in a league of its own in that sense so I think it's just about keeping the women's game sustainable and accessible and and um, like I say I think it's on a good path. Caroline pleasure talking to you good luck for next season at Manchester City. Thank you. That's it for today's Football Social Daily. Don't forget you can catch that full episode with Caroline Weir on Football Stories on the Sports Social Podcast Network. Just go to sport-social.co.uk, click the podcast tab, and there's plenty of different shows for you to get stuck into, including two series worth of football stories and also the official British Speedway podcast No Breaks No Fear hosted by our very own Ian new episode out already Ian yeah one every week every Tuesday there's a new one a big one this week the lineup has been announced for the British final which takes place on the 16th of August hear about who makes the cut for that it's happening in Manchester by the way the National Speedway Stadium you should get yourself down there if you can because um, literally the best British riders will be fighting it out for a trophy but we're also uh, joined by Great Britain, Sheffield and Scunthorpe star Adam Ellis throughout the whole episode and he gives some great insight on uh, what it's like trying to be an international speedway rider flitting between different countries every week (laughs) um, in the current climate. (laughs) Yeah, can't be easy, but the British Speedway podcast, No Breaks, No Fear, is an easy listen. So head over to the Sports Social Podcast Network or anywhere you get your podcast to check out that. But that's it for today's show. Thanks very much, Ian. I've been Niall. Don't forget to hit subscribe. That way you won't miss an episode of Football Social Daily again. And we'll catch you in a couple of days' time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.